بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so our topic today is on maintaining or the importance of maintaining good health in islam and we begin today's lecture with the hadith in which the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said ni'matan maghbunun fihima kathirun min an-nas there are two favors there are two bounties which many of the people lose out with respect to two favors which many people lose out with respect to and he said as-sihhatu wal-faragh as-sihhatu wal-faragh which means good health good health and free time good health and free time sheikh uh, sheikh abdul aziz ibn baz rahimahullahu ta'ala he commented upon this hadith and he said yani kathirun min an-nas Uh, many uh, people they waste their health and waste their spare time without any benefit and then he continues and he says that and a person being sound in his body being healthy in his body when he has free time as well so a person has these things but then he does not use them in what benefits him in what brings him closer to Allah in what benefits him in the world so many people lose out in relation to these two favors in that they do not use them for what will benefit them and so he continues and he says that indeed wa inna ma yanbaghi lil mu'min an yastaghilla hadhihi an-ni'mah fi ma yarda Allah it is desirable for a believer that he uses these favors if he has them in what pleases Allah and in what benefits him such as trade tijara trade and various other forms of lawful earnings kasab which is halal and in increasing in fasting and prayer and remembrance and acts of obedience like visiting the sick for example and enjoining the good and prohibiting the evil and calling to allah azza wa jal and other such aspects of goodness so this is a favor a favor of good health is one of the many many favors that allah azza wa jal has granted to mankind as he mentions in his book wa in ta'uddu ni'matullah la tuhsuha that if you were to enumerate the favors of allah you would not be able to do so and health sound health is one of those great and mighty favors and it comes after that which is even greater 
which is Islam and the Sunnah. Islam and the Sunnah, Tawheed, Islam, the Sunnah is the greatest favor that Allah Azza wa Jal has bestowed upon mankind. And there are many other favors which come after that and from them is health. And health is one of those affairs for which gratitude is due to Allah Azza wa Jal. وَاشْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ إِن كُنْتُمْ إِيَّاهُ تَعْبُدُونَ Be grateful to Allah if it is indeed Him alone that you worship. So just like we see that to preserve the ni'mah of Allah, when, when we look at the things which preserve the favors and bounties of Allah, they include obedience to Allah, righteousness, you know, establishing the pillars of Islam, establishing the uh, commandments that Allah, has, that Allah has made, keeping away from the prohibitions, all of these, they help to preserve the favors of Allah. They will keep coming so long as we maintain this. And likewise, preservation of health, to preserve your health, because health is a ni'mah from Allah Azawajal. And so therefore, to maintain that ni'mah, to maintain that ni'mah is part and parcel of shukr. Part and parcel of being grateful to Allah Azza wa Jal. Now health is the default. Everybody is born with health. Health is the, the majority condition. So most of the time you are healthy because that is the asal. And disease or sickness is something which arises, it, it emanates, it's not the default for the overwhelming majority of people, right? It's something that arises due to circumstances, situations. And so a person, he is healthy and at times he moves towards illness. And a Sheikh Salih Al-Fawzan mentions when he often quotes the ayat in the Quran that speak about the calamities وَمَا أَصَابَكُمْ مِنْ مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ وَيَعْفُوا عَنْ كَثِيرٌ That whatever calamity befalls you, then it is by way of what your hands have earned. And yet he pardons many. And so the Shaykh mentions from the list of things that arise, the calamities that arise as a result of sins, and disobedience, he mentions amongst them, illnesses. Illnesses. And so illnesses, there are obviously different reasons as to why illnesses occur. And as Muslims, we have to be careful that we, have, we, don't, we don't have a narrow-minded view of health and disease. Health and de disease. Because... When you look into the uh, sciences and the knowledge of the non-Muslims, of the disbelievers, then because they believe in materialism, because they believe in, uh, you know, they, they, they discount the fact that human actions have a role to play in material affairs. Right? So this, this is what we know from the Sharia, that human actions, the deeds of humans that they have, a tangible effect on the affairs of the world. And so calamities arise because of human actions. We believe this because we have been informed 
in the revelation that this is a fact, it is a rule in Allah's creation. And there are many examples of this in you know in the in in, in, in the Sunnah, in the Quran and the Sunnah. You know, by way of example, when people commit open obscenity, diseases spread, when people withhold the zakah, the rain is withheld, when people cheat in weights and measures, there appear tyrannical rulers and famines and hardship. Right? So these are human actions which lead to effects. And so similarly, when we, when we look at the causes of disease, the causes of disease, we mentioned here, as, as, as Sheikh Salih Fawzan commented upon, on, upon this ayah, that illnesses are part and parcel of the calamities that arise as a result of the deeds of men. Right? So the point being here that we, we have to be open-minded when we look at the issue of health and disease, and not fall into this, the materialist, narrow-minded uh, vision of health and disease. Right? So it's something to keep that in mind. So, in, in other words, you might go and get diagnosed with a disease or an, ailment, uh, an illness, an acute illness, and it might be explained that the reason was such and such and such and such. Which, in and of itself, it might be true. Right? Because a material cause has been explained for your disease. But that material cause itself could have arisen from something else. From something else. Right? So this is what this is the point that we are making here that you know that we have to be open minded and not fall into the the materialist, narrow minded explanation of the causes of disease and the causes of health. So keep that in mind. So as we said, a person fluctuates then between health and disease. The asal, the foundation, is health, that you have good health. And due to circumstances, you fall into disease. Now, nations, civilizations, cultures for thousands and thousands of years, because of this fluctuation between health and disease, which happens from time to time, they have developed you know, certain approaches in trying to deal with conditions of disease, conditions of illness. And these approaches that they've taken depend upon the climate that they live in, the region of the earth that they live in, because different regions have different climates. Likewise, on the foodstuffs which are available to them, in terms of you know what 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 is their diet? What are the main foodstuffs that they are eating? What types of herbs grow in 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 that region? What types of plants? What types of trees grow in that region? How they make use of you know uh, the, the food such as animals, the various parts and elements of animals, you know the fat of an animal, the skin of an animal, the the flesh of an animal, the whatever else, right? So different cultures have developed their own approaches to medicine on the basis of what Allah has made available to them. And for that reason, you see, every culture has its own approaches towards medicine, has its own cures. And this has come about by way of empirical testing, empirical experiments, right? Because it's tried and tested over generations and generations and generations that knowledge has been saved and then refined over time. And so, this is the nature of medicine, and all medicine in history has always been like this. 
And as Ibn al-Qayyim points out, that modern medicine, which in his time would have been you know, the, the, the modern medicine then, that all of it has its foundation in the medicine of local cultures, local civilizations. It's, it's derived from that. The principles are taken from that. So once we understand this, we should then understand that when we put all of the experience of all of these cultures and civilizations over thousands and thousands of years, when we put all of that together, we will see that there are certain universals. There are certain universal principles which are common to all of these cultures and civilizations or to the, to the medicine of the cultures and civilizations of all of these people. And for that reason, when we look into the revelation, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, we know that it has come with every good, with every benefit in the world and in the hereafter, whether it is to do with the deen or whether it is to do with the dunya. And it has come, the Qur'an and the Sunnah have come with universal principles of medicine. The Qur'an and the Sunnah, broadly speaking, we don't see you know, very detailed guidance in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, for example, for this disease, do such and such, for that disease, do such, in, a, in, a, in a detailed, comprehensive sense. But rather we see that there are universal principles and there are certain diseases for which there are certain things which are mentioned, but on the whole it is principles, universal principles. And that's because all cultures, all civilizations, they live in different climates, they live, they have different diets, they have, they have different habitats, they have different lifestyles, and so therefore they have medicine that is unique to them. And for that reason, the Qur'an and the Sunnah have brought universal principles, which if a person sticks to and applies, then he will be, he will be healthy by the will and the permission of Allah Azza wa Jal. So once all of that is clear, I want to mention some things from this great and mighty book of Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, called Zadul Ma'ad, and particularly the volume that deals with the prophetic medicine, Al-Tibbun Nabawi. This is the fourth volume in this print. And, you know, the first ten or first ten or so pages are absolutely amazing. So I want to share some of the things that Ibn al-Qayyim has mentioned uh, to lay a foundation for the second part of the talk. So my talk is in two parts really. The first is just this muqaddimah, this introduction. Uh, and then we want to comment upon uh, these pages of Ibn al-Qayyim about general principles of medicine, universal principles of medicine. And then from there, we will move into looking at eight or nine things which have come in the Qur'an and the Sunnah as a means of establishing good health. Eight or nine affairs in the Qur'an and the Sunnah which establish good health, which again are universal things as well. So that will be the second part of the talk. So the first part of the talk, let's go into uh, the, the, the introduction to Ibn al-Qayyim's book. And there are many gems, there are many treasures in this book, especially in the, in the uh, beginning part of the book. And so he begins by saying, um, at the, in the uh, opening chapter, that we will mention here some beneficial chapters 
from the guidance of the Messenger وسلم, regarding medicine, by which he himself practiced tib, medicine, and which he described to others. And we will explain what it contains of wisdom, of wisdom which the intellects of the majority of the physicians, the majority of the doctors, are unable to fathom, are unable to reach, and to explain that the relationship of their medicine to that of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam is like the relationship of the medicine of the you know, the, the barren old women, the old women, the things that they talk about, right, to that. So in other words, just like the unsophisticated, crude, anecdotal medicine of the old women is inferior to the medicine of the physicians of this world, then in a similar way, the relationship to their medicine, it's the same, to the medicine of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It's the same relationship. And then he says, فَنَقُولُ وَبِاللَّهِ الْمُسْتَعَانِ Then so we say, and from Allah is all aid sought. And then he uh, says, المرض نوعان Illness is of two types. مَرْضُ الْقُلُوبِ مَرْضُ الْقُلُوبِ وَمَرْضُ الْأَبْدَانِ The disease of the hearts and the disease of the bodies. And so we're not concerned here about the disease of the hearts because this is not our topic. But as for the disease of the hearts, he mentions briefly here that the marad of the qulub, the illness of the hearts, is two types. Is two types. The first of them is the illness of shubha and shak. When the heart is doubtful, when it has a misconception, this is considered to be an illness of the heart. And the second is the marad of shahwa. Shahwa. Wa ghay. Shahwa meaning lust. So when your heart lusts after certain things, and when it is, you know, errant and, and misguided, this likewise is the disease of the heart. He goes on to mention some ayat in the Quran uh, in relation to these diseases of the heart, uh, and likewise the shahawat as well to prove ev- to bring evidences. But as this is not our topic for today, we will uh, leave that. We will move on to the second part then, which is the illness of the bodies. The illness of the bodies. And he establishes that the illness of the bodies, the foundations and the principles of medicine and illness have all been laid down in the Qur'an. And there are three of them. There are three universal principles that relate to health and sickness. And in the Qur'an, we see that Allah Azza wa Jal, as Ibn al-Qayyim explains, that they are all mentioned in the context of acts of worship. In the context of acts of worship. In relation to hajj. In relation to fasting. Uh, in relation to wudu' and so he says that all of the principles of medicinal treatment of the bodies are centered around three and they are as follows 
The first of them is The first one is That you preserve The good health that you already have So the good health that you are already enjoying Then you must preserve that This is the first principle The second principle Is Alhimyatu Anil Mu'zi which is then to protect yourself from everything that is harmful. So the first is preservation of good health. The second is protection and precautions, taking precautions, being careful against things that are going to harm your health. That's the second principle. And the third principle is istifraagh. Al-Mawad Al-Fasidah Which is to remove harmful elements The elements that, are, that can be present on your body or within your body That are, are the cause of actual disease To extract them and to remove them So these three principles have been mentioned in the Quran Ibn Al-Qayyim has derived them from the Quran And he mentions that each of them have all have been mentioned in relation to an act of worship or acts of worship. So just we'll mention the, the, the proofs for each one. So as for the first one, the ayah which relates to fasting, so Allah Azawajal He says, For man kana minkum maridan aw ala safarin fa'iddatun min ayamil min ayamin ukhar. So whoever amongst you is ill or upon a journey, then let him make up from other days. So, he mentioned here that the ill person is allowed to break his fast due to the excuse of disease and the traveler as well. Now the traveler, he has allowed him to break the fast or not keep the fast in order to maintain his health, in order to preserve the health that he has and in order to preserve his vitality, his vitality and his strength. His health and his strength. So that the fasting whilst, whilst he's on a journey does not harm him. Because when he's, when he's journeying, there is you know, extreme movement, there is tiredness of the body. And when a person travels, then food is not easy to come by or to, to consume. And all of this basically takes away from his strength, his vitality, it weakens him and it makes him prone to ill health. So here we can see the principle here is the preservation of existing health. And so Ibn al-Qayyim has derived it from this ayah. Then as for al-himya, al-himya which is uh, taking precaution and protection, then this is in the ayah in relation to wudur. And so he mentioned, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ مَرْضَى أو على سفر أو جاء أحد منكم من الغائط أو لامستم النساء فلم تجدوا ماء فتيمموا سعيدا طيبا. This is the ayah of tayammum. So he mentioned that if you are ill or if you are upon a journey or one of you have come after relieving himself or you have had relations with women and you do not find water, then use dust or sand. Uh, you know, clean, clean, wholesome sand, and basically, it's an eye to do. With, the eye is related to tayammum, and not using 
uh, water. So here, the ill person has been allowed to turn away from water and to use just a turab, which is just the dust or the sand as part of uh, tayammum. And this is so that his body is not subject to any harm as a result of that. And so here the principle, so if we look at the, the general principle here, the general principle is to avoid something, an element, something in which there is physical contact like water, which can be harmful to the person, whether externally, externally in the body, or internally in the body. And so this is the second principle. And the third principle is the removal of harmful elements. And this is derived from the ayah which relates to hajj. In this ayah, Allah he says, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ بِهِ أَذَا مِنْ رَأْسِهِ فَفِدْيَةٌ مِنْ سِيَامٍ أَوْ صَدَقَةٍ أَوْ نُسُكٍ So he said, any one of you who is ill or who has some harm in his head, meaning there is some infection or there are some in, in his head, there are lice or something and he has an infection, and then he makes a ransom by way of uh, uh, you know, fasting or charity or some other, you know, there are some other acts of uh, a devotion. So here the ill person and the one who has some harm in his, you know, lice in his head or infestation in his head, that he is allowed to basically shave his head whilst in ihram in order to remove the harmful elements. And so the general principle here then is, uh, the analogy which is then made and made general is removing every harmful element from the body, and this can be internal as well as external, that is the cause of disease. The cause of disease. And these things can be many, uh, you know, uh, the principle applies to many things. It can apply to things like sickness. It can apply to urine or feces or wind or sickness or... You know, there are, uh, these are general things, but then it also applies to other things like infections and so on and so forth, whether internal or external. The general principle is removal of the harmful element, whether external or internal. So here then, we see that all of this establishes three <coughs> principles of health. And notice that two of these three principles are centered around the preservation of good health and the protection from harm. Right? So this is a major part of medicine. A major part of from medicine is the preservation of health and protection away from harmful things. This is the major part of medicine. So medicine, in other words, our, we need to change our way of thinking that medicine is not receiving medical treatment. It's not just receiving medical treatment. That is not just what is medicine, what is conceived as medicine. At-tib, as explained in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and as explained here by Ibn al-Qayyim, is more general. There are some steps before this step of actual treatment, which is the preservation of good health. This is part and parcel of medicine. And likewise, protection away from harmful elements as a, as a means of preserving health. That too is part and parcel of Tib of, of medicine. And so once this is clear then, uh, 
we see that the actual treatment of the bodies, so now we've established the diseases of the bodies, uh, in terms of the, the usul or the qawaid of tib, then he goes on to mention that as, as for the tib of the bodies, there are, or in fact, as for the, the tib of the hearts, then this is something that can only come the, from the prophets and messengers. The curing of the hearts, the, 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 the cure for that, the tib of that, the medicine for that, then it comes only from the prophets and messengers. There is no other way for the healing of the hearts, the healing of shubha and shak, and the healing of shahwa and ghay, which is misconceptions and lusts. This only comes from revealed knowledge. It cannot come from any other place. Right? So this again is not our topic today. We're not delving on this. But to come to the, the main point, which is the medicine of the bodies. It is of two types. The first is something that Allah has put inherently within every single body. Allah has made it an instinct in every single body. For example, when you are hungry, sorry, when you, when you go without food, there are the pains of hunger that make you instinctually, by instinct, to go and seek food. Right? Likewise, when you are thirsty, by instinct, you go and seek water. And there are other things as well. When you, for example, the sneeze itself is an instinct. You don't really control it at, at will. It's an instinct. And there are many other things that Allah has put within the body that are natural, instinctive things by the way of the fitrah, which is considered to be a treatment of the body. It is built in, right? And it's instinct. It's instinctive. The second type are those which actually refer to study, investigation, reflection, and you know all of these other types of illnesses that we experience and for which we have to seek uh, cures. So this is the second type of, of uh, medicinal treatment, the second type of tib. And so whenever a body is in a situation of illness, then you know we, we research, we uh, try different things. And that's why we said that the medicine of cultures, civilizations and nations have all been built upon empirical uh, testing and experience. And through that, they've gained knowledge of how to treat different diseases uh, through you know, different methods and means by way of diet, precautions in the diet, by way of herbs, by way of other things. So all of this is by way of experience uh, empirical uh, testing, uh, knowledge, and so on and so forth. Then he goes on to mention that the body, the human body itself, can only have three conditions. Either it is in sound health, sound natural health, or it is outside of its natural state and condition, in which case it is ill, or it is a stage in between. A stage in between. So when it's in its natural state, it is healthy. When it is out of its natural state, it is unhealthy. And in between, there always has to be an intermediate step because a body does not become healthy to unhealthy just like that. There's always an intermediate stage. So there's a stage in which the body is uh, you know, between the two conditions. So um, after mentioning this, he then goes on to explain the way of the Prophet 
sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So after we established all these principles about, um, you know, the disease is that of the heart and the body. As for that of the heart, it, it is shubha and shahwa. As for that of the body, there are three universal principles. And after that, we mentioned that the tib of the heart is only given by the prophets and messengers by revelation. And as for the tib of the body, there are two forms of it. The first, which is inherent and natural, which Allah has built in from his favors and bounties. And the second is that which is subject to research and investigation. And the body itself can be in three conditions, in its natural state of being healthy, in its unnatural state of being unhealthy, and a state in between. Right? And a state in between. Now when we come to the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ, we see that from his guidance is that he would actually adopt medicinal treatments. He would treat himself, and he would order the one who was ill to... Um, you know, make use of medicine. And uh, from his way, if you look uh, as Ibn al-Qayyim says, that from his guidance, or it was not from his guidance, and not from the guidance of his companions, to use these advanced compound tribes, types of drugs. That's what Ibn al-Qayyim says. He says, rather most of what they would use would be simple elements, simple individual elements, and sometimes they might combine one or two of these simple individual elements. And this is the basis of the medicine of most of the nations of the earth. This is what he says, that the medicine of most of the nations of the earth is of this type. And then he goes on to mention some of the principles of the physicians that, for example, when you are able to treat an illness by way of precautions in diet, and nutrition, then you do that first without resorting to, you know, uh, something else. And then every disease which can be treated by way of diet and precautions, then it should be taken first without moving on to other types of treatments. And then he goes on to mention some of these other principles. Um, and this now really uh, leads us to uh, our main part or the main part of our subject and um, this is what do we find in the Quran and the Sunnah in relation to general guidelines regarding um, medicine and so before we do in fact yeah, we'll, we'll move on to that next inshallah ta'ala and so now we're going to look at the methodology of Islam what do we find in the text of the Quran and the Sunnah as a, method, as a broad methodology of how a person maintains good health? And we see that in, in, in the Sharia, there, is, there are many legislations, there are many principles by which the health of an individual can be actualized. And um, predominantly, this approach is preventative medicine. So in the Quran and the Sunnah, the major approach is preventative medicine, that you, that you prevent yourself from being ill and from being sick. And this is the major part of medicine. And that's why good health is an individual responsibility. Right? The major part of medicine, as we've established from Ibn al-Qayyim, is preserving good health and protecting it from harm. And this is an individual 
responsibility. And when you see it, when you see it from that perspective that that it is an individual responsibility, then you will then tie it to the fact that this is a ni'mah from Allah Azawajal, and being grateful to Allah Azawajal for this ni'mah is to preserve one's good health. Why? Because as you've seen from the very first statement from Sheikh Ibn Baz, ta'ala, that good health allows a person to do many, many things which are beneficial for him in this life and the next. From obedience to Allah, from calling to Allah, from pursuing the affairs of the, of the world, like trade and business and so on and so forth. And all of this basically supports and aids a servant in his deen and his dunya. And so when we look at it from this point of view that it is an individual responsibility and it is largely preventative. Most of medicine is pre- should be preventative. right? It is not that once you've lived an unhealthy lifestyle, you develop a chronic disease, now you, know, you seek the, 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 the cure and the treatment for this disease. Right? Rather it is largely, the, more, the major part of medicine is preventative. So, when we look in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and we look at all of these general legislations that have a connection to health, we will see that they are all preventative. That they are all related to prevention of the disease before its treatment. Now, the health itself is something that we find being praised in the Qur'an. Allah Azza wa Jal, He mentions in relation to Talut in Surah Al-Baqarah. He mentions that he gave Talut knowledge, al-ilm, and al-quwah fil-jism. He gave him ilm, and he gave him bodily strength. So the mention of bodily strength is a praise of a strong body. He mentions in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 247, um, وَزَادَهُ بَسْطَةً فِي الْعِلْمِ وَالْجِسْمِ وَاللَّهُ يُؤْتِي مُلْكَهُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَاللَّهُ وَاسِعٌ عَلِيمٌ So he mentions here about Talut that he increased, gave him increase in ilm, in knowledge and in al-jism, in body. So these are praiseworthy things that you, are, that you increase in your knowledge is something praiseworthy for you and that you increase in your bodily strength is something praiseworthy for you. Likewise, we see the hadith that we mentioned at the beginning, narrated by Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, from the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Two favors which most people, or which many people lose out with respect to, sound health and spare time. And we see that there are poetry as well, which uh, drives home this message, as a rough translation of the poetry, uh, that I, even though gathering wealth amazes me, there is nothing to me that equals the health of the body, bodily health. Even though gathering wealth amazes me, nothing is equal to bodily health. In wealth, there is, there is a type of pleasure of you know, seeing wealth and beautification. And in having children, there is a type of honor and nobility. But when you suffer illness, it will make you forget 
the remembrance of your wealth and the remembrance of your children. Right? This is a beautiful message by the poet that even though wealth is something that amazes you, there is nothing equal to good health. And even though you might you know, get enjoyment from looking at your wealth, your houses and your cars and your, your bank balances and so on and so forth and the notes that you have stashed away, this might amaze you. And your children, when you look at them, you might feel honored and ennobled. But as soon as you are sick and ill and you are in the bed with a fever, an infection, and your heart is pounding away and you think you are going to die, you will forget everything. Your wealth will not be on your mind and your children will not be on your mind. And you will, you will wish as if all the wealth that you had was able to save you. And many people will see this is a reality. They have cancer. The doctors tell them you're about to die. They have thousands upon thousands upon thousands. They have wealth like nobody's business. What good is that wealth to them? Nothing. So at this point, sickness will make you forget all of wealth. So the point being here then, uh, from these texts, and likewise we see an, uh, the same indication from the hadith of Salama bin Ubaidillah bin Mihsan al-Ansari, radiyallahu anhu, from his father who said, قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ مَنْ أَسْبَحَ مِنْكُمْ مُعَافًا فِي جَسَدِهِ آمِنًا فِي سِرْبِهِ عِنْدَهُ قُوتُ يَوْمِهِ فَكَأَنَّمَا هِيزَتْ لَهُ الدُّنْيَا Reported by Al-Bukhari in Al-Adab Al-Mufrad. He says, whoever amongst you wakes up being healthy in his body, meaning his body is free from any ailments, and he is serene in his mind, he's of calm mind, he's at peace, he's at ease. And he has with him the provision for that day. He has with him food and drink for that day. Then it is as if he has gathered all the treasure of all of the world. Meaning that when you wake up in the morning and your body is sound and healthy and you have no nothing worrying you, you, you are at peace and ease and serene and calm and you have with you the food just for that day, then it's as if the, the treasure of the whole world has, you, you've collected all of it. This is an indication again of good health. Of, of having good health, waking up and having a sound body. And then we see that the point that we made earlier on about calamities and the ayah in the Quran about calamities and its connection, the fact that illnesses are a type of calamity and the relationship to that, then just look at these examples given by Ibn Rajab, rahimahullah ta'ala. He says in Jami'ul uh, Ulum wal Hikam, in commenting upon a particular hadith, he says, Man Allah fi sabahu wa quwwatihi hafidahullahu fi hali kibarihi wa da'fi quwwatihi wa matta'ahu bi sam'ihi wa basrihi wa hawlihi wa quwwatihi wa aqlihi. He says, whoever safeguards Allah is watchful and mindful of Allah in his youth, in his youth, in his prime, in his youth, and in his strength. So if you are watchful and mindful of Allah, you fear him, whilst you are in the peak of your youth, 
in your youth and in your strength, Allah will protect and safeguard him in his old age when his strength weakens and he will allow him to continue to benefit from his hearing and his seeing and his strength and his vitality and his intellect. In other words, the way to preserve sound health in older age is to fear Allah Azza wa Jal in the younger age. And just look at the example he gives. He says, some of the scholars, Some of the scholars had reached more than a hundred years in age. And he continues to enjoy his vitality and his intellect. Meaning he's of sound mind, enjoying his full intellect past the age of a hundred. He has with him his full bodily strength and his vitality. And he's talking about the same scholar. He's speaking about an individual scholar. Then once this scholar, he made a large leap. Like he made a large leap. Something that you'd only see like a youth do. You know, like youth, they like to, you know, compete with each other and they show off in terms of who can do the the greatest feat in terms of a leap or a climb or something like this. And so this alim, he made a, a large leap or a jump. And so they, he was blamed for that and you know, told, criticized that you know, in your old age, you were doing this. And so this alim, he said, he said, these are limbs that we protected from disobedience whilst we were young. And so Allah protected them for us whilst we became old. And he continues, He says, and then the reverse of this, that some of the Salaf saw a sheikh, a particular sheikh, going around asking people, being in need of people, and then, he said, "Inna hada da'if dayya Allah fi sigarihi, fadayyahu Allahu fi kibarihi." Indeed, this man is 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 a weak man. He neglected Allah whilst he was young, and so Allah neglected him whilst he was old. So, from this, the point that I want to mention again is that we should not be. Uh, narrow-minded in our understanding of health and disease. And we should not forget the rules of Allah in His creation because human actions have effects upon things. Something that the disbelievers and the atheists and the philosophers will do, do not accept. But we believe this because this we have been told through revelation. And so here we see that uh, good health, sound health, retaining your faculties of hearing, seeing, the ability to think, the ability to use your intellect, that their longevity is something that is determined by your actions when you are when you are younger, your obedience to Allah Azawajal. And likewise taking the we, ways and the means, the wasail, the uh, asbab, you know, in order to protect uh, good bodily health and you know and so on and so forth. So from this uh, we see likewise an indication of uh, the, the the focus on on health is from Anas bin Malik radiyallahu anhu said that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said, "Ad-du'a la yurad." 
بين الأذان والإقامة. Dua is not rejected between the adhan and the iqamah. And so they said, then what shall we say, O Messenger of Allah? Look at what he said. The Messenger of Allah he said, Sallallahu He said, Ask Allah for al-afiyah in this life and the next. Al-afiyah is well-being. Is well-being, good health. We are told to supplicate for well-being, which is good health, between the adhan and the iqamah. So, all of this is an evidence, all of these texts which I've brought to you, are an evidence therefore, of the concern that Islam, the Sharia, the legislation, the Quran and the Sunnah, have for health, the status of health, a sound strong body, and being concerned with the affairs of health. So it is from the intelligence of a man, it is from aql, that you are concerned about your health. It is from gratitude to Allah that you learn these affairs in order to show your gratitude to Allah and to protect and preserve this favor, this ni'mah, which can only be recognized, which people only tend to see. It's like they say that health is a crown on the head of a healthy person, which no one sees except the diseased person, the sick person. Right? When a person is sick and ill, he's lying in bed, he has a chronic illness, he only then does he see the crown that is on the head of every sound, healthy person there is around him. So, this shows the focus in Islam, in the Quran, in the Sunnah, in the Sharia, of, uh, you know, upon the issue of health. So now, what are the means, what are the ways that we find in the Sharia? We mentioned eight or nine of them, inshallah ta'ala. So, First of them is that Islam encourages personal hygiene. Islam encourages personal hygiene. This is natural to come first because hygiene, cleanliness. Islam is a religion of purity. Islam is a religion of purity. As we shall come to the hadith, uh, uh, that purity, at-tuhur, shatrul iman iman Purity is one half of faith. And as the scholars explain, there is purity which is hissi, hissi which is uh, physical material, which is of the body, and there is that which is ma'nawi, that which is in, in, in meaning, in concept, which, which is spiritual, meaning that which relates to, relates to the heart of its beliefs, and so on and so forth. And so Islam has given a great concern, an emphatic concern of the cleanliness and hygiene of individuals, of households, of societies, and of all, all nations. It is focused upon the cleanliness of bodies, and of clothing, and of the environment, and of the house. All of these we see in the Sharia of Islam. And we see Allah Azawajal, He mentions in the Qur'an, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ التَّوَّابِينَ وَيُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَحِّرِينَ Indeed, Allah, He loves those who frequently turn to repentance. And likewise, He loves those who keep themselves pure, keep themselves clean. This is something, something Allah Azawajal that He, that he um, loves. And the hadith that we mentioned, أَتْتُحُورُ شَطْرُ الْإِيمَانِ 
Purity is one half of Iman. These texts indicate that Islam legislates for the body to be continuously hygienic, continuously pure. For example, we make wudu, five to, or we are obliged to make wudu to maintain purity for the prayer. And in fact, we see an encouragement for the believer to maintain the state of wudu. A person preserves the state of wudu, it is a sign of his perfection and completion in faith. Likewise, it has obligated to make ghusl when a person is in a state of janaba after relations. Likewise, after the female has ended the menstrual period, she is required to have a bath, a ghusl. And likewise, postpartum bleeding, after a delivery has been made of the child and after the bleeding has stopped again, has uh, obligated the ghusl. And likewise, on the Jumu'ah, and the Eid, the various days of Eid, we are obligated to have a ghusl. And even when making, uh, you know, when, when a person is going to make ihram or enter Makkah and do tu'af, it is recommended to make ghusl, to do wudu, and so on and so forth. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, مَنِ اِغْتَصَلَ يَوْمَ الْجُمْعَةِ فَأَحْسَنَ غُسْلَهُ وَتَطَحَّرَ فَأَحْسَنَ ظُهُورَهُ وَلَبِسَ مِنْ أَحْسَنِ ثِيَابِهِ وَمَسَّ مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَهُ مِنْ تِيبِ أَهْلِهِ ثُمَّ أَتَى الْجُمْعَةِ وَلَمْ يَلْغُ وَلَمْ يُفَرِّقْ بَيْنَ اثْنَيْنِ غُفِرَ لَهُ مَا بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ الْجُمْعَةِ الْأُخْرَى In this hadith, the Messenger he mentions that a person who comes on the day of Jum'ah, he makes ghusl, makes it well, and then he purifies himself in the best way, wears his best garment, and, you know, wears, uh, continues and... Uh, uh, comes to Jum'ah whilst he's dressed well, purified, perfumed and so on and so forth, he does not speak in vain, does not cause two to separate, all of his sins will be forgiven between that Jum'ah and the next. And so we see that we've been commanded likewise to take good garments, clean, pure garments, and to perfume ourselves, and likewise to look after the places of worship, Look at how Allah he says in the Quran in Surah Al-Araf, verse 31. Ya Bani Adam, khudu zinatakum inda kulli masjidin wa kulu wa shrabu wa la tusrifu. Innahu la yuhibbul musrifin. O children of Adam, take your adornment, your beautiful adornment, when you go to every masjid and eat and drink. And do not go to excess. Indeed, Allah does not love those who go to excess. So here we see in this um, ayah, Allah has mentioned taking beautiful adornment to the masjid. And all of this means obviously that the body is clean and pure and the thawb is clean and pure. And we see this mentioned also in another ayah. Ya ayyuhal muddathir kum fa'anthir. وَرَبَّكَ فَكَبِّرْ وَثِيَابَكَ فَطَّحِّرْ With respect to this fourth verse, uh, purify your garment, addressed to the Messenger of Allah Imam Sa'di mentions that one of the meanings of this ayah is purify your clothes, wear clean clothes for the prayer. For the prayer. So we see here, in all of these texts, likewise from the uh, uh, hadith which is related uh, by Abu Dawood and Al-Hakim and Al-Mustadrak from Abu Darda, 
who said that he heard the Messenger of Allah say, إِنَّكُمْ قَادِمُونَ عَلَىٰ إِخْوَانِكُمْ فَأَسْلِحُوا رِحَالَكُمْ وَأَسْلِحُوا لِبَاسَكُمْ حَتَّى تَكُونَ كَأَنَّكُمْ شَامَةٌ فِي النَّاسِ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْفَحْشَ وَلَا التَّفَحُشَ So he says uh, to a people who are approaching, that indeed you are approaching your brothers, so rectify your رِحَالُكُمْ وَأَسْلِحُوا لِبَاسَكُمْ And correct and mend your clothing when you come. Meaning come and appear to be presentable in front of the people. So from all of this, likewise, uh, from, from all of this, we see that there is a focus upon the cleanliness of the body, a cleanliness of the clothing, and likewise a cleanliness of the environment. And this we deduce from the hadith of um, the uh, Abi Huraira, radiyallahu anhu, who said that the Messenger of Allah said, Al-Imanu bid'un wa sab'una baban فَأَدْنَاهَا إِمَاتَةُ الْأَذَىٰ عَنِ الطَّرِيقِ وَأَرْفَعُهَا قَوْلُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ That Iman has 70 odd branches or aspects. The lowest of them is to remove something harmful from the floor. And the highest of them is the statement لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And so the scholars have deduced from this command here that to remove that which is harmful from the... You know, this is a, a principle in relation to removing that which is harmful in the environment. So a person in, in where he lives, that which is impure and harmful, that this should be removed from his environment. And from this, obviously, there are other things that we can derive from that. So the first principle then that Islam has come with is that of cleanliness and purity. And... In a time when a Muslim, when, when Muslims were enjoying good health, purity, clean streets, and you know the, 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 they were medicinally, medicinally advanced more so than the other nations. Why? Because they acquired the knowledge and the sciences of those who came before them, and they refined them and they, and they studied them. And you know, at a time when the Muslims were living in cleanliness. Because of their deen, because of the legislation of Islam, uh, we see that other nations were living in filth and disease and you know, uh, pollution. And many of them gave rise to plagues and you know, many, many people being killed as a result of those plagues and diseases. And so this is something that is a, 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 a part and parcel of a Muslim. A Muslim is pure. is pure in his body. He makes wudu, he makes ghusl, is pure in his appearances. All of these things are required by the sharia of a, of a Muslim. That's why no one can say about Muslims that they are impure people. It's, this, it's impossible for someone to say that Muslims are dirty, clean, because this is just not true at all whatsoever because of the, of the legislation of Islam, what it requires from a Muslim. So the first thing that we see then Islam in Islam is cleanliness and purity and absence of hygiene is one of the ways by which a person obviously becomes uh, ill it's one of the roots of disease uh, transmission and disease uh, occurrence the second thing that islam has come with is moderation in food and drink 
Moderation in food and drink. Now Islam is a religion of moderation, of wasatiyah, of balance, moderation in everything. We are moderate in our belief, in all aspects of our belief. You know, we are moderate between the khawarij and the murji'ah. We are moderate, you know, between the, the, the rafida and the khawarij who denigrate the companions and those who exaggerate in the companions. We have a middle uh, path in between. So in every, in every field, we are moderate in the affair of al-qadr, between the qadariyyah and the, you know, the, the denies of al-qadr and the jabariyyah. So in our belief, we are moderate. In our worship, we are moderate. We pray and we sleep. We fast and we break the fast. You know, we, we, we marry, we have relations. In everything, we are moderate. Islam has come with everything which is moderate. And likewise, in terms of food and drink, Islam has come with that which is moderation. So for that reason, uh, we see that moderation in food, in, in terms of food and drink, Islam encourages moderation. There's no excess, there's no neglect, there is no, um, you know, the moderation here is in terms of quality, <coughs> in quality and likewise quantity. And so the principle in this regard is an ayah, a famous ayah in the Quran. And in this ayah, Allah Azawajal, He says, this is in Surah Al-A'raf, uh, Surah 7, verse number 31. And in fact, let me mention to you a, a story, a context behind this ayah in the Quran. There's a famous imam from the Salaf by the name of Ali bin Hassan. Ali bin Hassan. And he is an imam of the Salaf around the second century after Hijrah. And there was a Christian doctor, a Christian physician came to him. And he said, he was trying to boast, he was trying to say, well, how come... In your book, in the Quran, we see that there is medicine for the heart, but we do not see any medicine for the body. Why don't we see this in your book, in the Quran? And so Ali bin Hassan, he said, Ali bin Hassan, he, he basically said to this, uh, to this Christian, and this was in the time of Harun al-Rashid, he used to have a very clever, very smart physician, a doctor who was a Christian. And he said to Ali bin Hassan, there is not in your book anything of the knowledge of medicine. Why is there nothing in your book to do with medicine? Why, whereas we know that, me, that medicine, that knowledge is of two types, knowledge of the religion and knowledge of bodies. How can we not find anything in your book to do with the knowledge of the bodies? And so Ali bin Hassan said to him that indeed... Allah has combined all of medicine. Allah has combined all of medicine in half of a verse in the Quran. Not even one verse. In half of a verse in the Quran. And this verse is the statement of Allah Azawajal, وَكُلُوا وَاشْرَبُوا وَلَا تُسْرِفُوا إِنَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُسْرِفِينَ Eat and drink and do not go into excess. Meaning eat and drink in moderation. Indeed, Allah loves not those who go into excess. So here now, if you really think and reflect upon this principle, this verse is a combination 
of all of medicine in one verse. All of medicine comes down to the issue of moderation in food and drink. And in fact, this is supported by hadith, by hadith in which the messenger of Allah he mentions, uh, is mentioned by Ibn Rajab, uh, narrated through Miqdam bin Ma'di Karib, who says, I heard the messenger of Allah say, the son of Adam does not fill a container worse, more evil than his belly, than his stomach. It is sufficient for the son of Adam to keep his back upright, that he take enough morsels of food to keep his back straight. So let him uh, eat a third for his food, or a third for his food in his stomach, a third for his drink, and a third to allow him to keep breathing. A third food, a third drink, and the rest to allow him to continue breathing. Now, commenting upon this, Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, he mentions, this hadith constitutes a comprehensive principle for all of the principles of medicine. And it has been reported that Ibn Abi Masawi, the physician, when he read this hadith in the book of Abi Khaythama, he said, if the people acted upon these words, they would be free from all they would be free of all of the diseases and ailments and the clinics. So they'd be free from all of the diseases and ailments, and the clinics and pharmacies would be shut down. And then he said then Ibn Rajab continues and he says, Indeed he, meaning Ibn Abi Masawi, said this because the origin of all disease is basically an improper process in the gut, in the, you know, in the lower gut, or, or what they call dysbiosis. Incomplete, improper digestion of the food. And Al-Harith bin Kalada, the physician of the Arabs, he said, precaution in the diet is the chief part of medicinal treatment, and this dysbiosis is the chief cause of disease. And uh, he brings a statement from Ibrahim bin Adham who said, Whoever controls his stomach, whoever masters his stomach, masters his religion. And whoever reigns control over his hunger, will reign control over the righteous characteristics. This is an amazing statement. That whoever controls his stomach, will master his religion. And whoever controls his hunger, will reign control over the righteous characteristics. Meaning the one who is unable to control his hunger, he will never be able to develop the righteous characteristics. Think about it, it makes sense. Because if you cannot control the base or lower desires, and have the strength and the resolve to control those lower basic instinctive desires, then how on earth are you going to develop the other characters, the noble lofty characters? And if you are unable to master your stomach, how are you going to master your religion? Right? So, you know, the, 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 these things are basically uh, tied. So the issue of health and disease and righteousness, you see how the Salaf made a connection between all of these things by, you know, by way of this, you know, by, by way of this. And in fact, Ibn Rajab, if you return back to his uh, Jami' al-Ulum al-Hikam in his explanation of this hadith, is right towards the end uh, because he mentions uh, Annawi's 40 hadith, and then he mentions another 10 on top. And this hadith is one of those, and within that explanation, 
he mentions many statements of the of the salaf that speak about the importance of taking less food and how taking less food is a means of preserving your aql your intellect and likewise your age and your faculties there are some statements in that regard and uh, so uh, you can refer back to that now coming back to this issue of moderation in food and drink even now you see there is there is research now there are people are bringing and in fact one particular man he's written a book on fasting in which he he speaks about the 5-2 rule 5-2 rule that you eat normally for 5 days and you fast for 2 days and he specifically mentions the practice of the messenger of Allah sallallahu of fasting on Mondays and Thursdays right he he makes a mention of this in his book and so the general point being here that controlling your food, controlling your intake of food and drink, controlling your hunger, and limit, limiting the amount of calories you take is a means of good health, first of all, first and foremost, and secondly, of increasing your lifespan. Increasing your lifespan. And an increase in your lifespan obviously also means that you are protecting and preserving your uh, faculties. Now, I have some of the statements here as well from Ibn al-Qayyim and others. I'll, I'll very quickly summarize uh, some of these uh, statements. Ibn al-Qayyim says, illnesses are of two types. Uh, so he's speaking here about the material illnesses. Material illnesses arise when there becomes a point of excess in the body where the natural functions are unable to occur in the, in the normal, optimal way. Right? So in other words, you consume in a way that puts a strain, for example, on your liver, on your kidneys, on your various organs. That in turn does not allow your, the natural functions to occur at the optimum level. Now when this continues, this is the, the reason behind the occurrence of disease. And he says, these are the majority of illnesses. And then he continues and he says, this is, occurs by consuming more food, on top of food that previously has not been properly digested. So you eat, and then you eat on top of that. And you eat food which, have, which is of little nutritional value. And by indulging in all sorts of different foods which are complex in their composition. So when a person makes it a habit to consume in this way, uh, they will cause them various diseases. Some of which will come slowly, some of which will come swiftly. But as for when he is moderate in his eating, takes only what he needs. He keeps a balance of quantity and quality. A balance of quantity and quality. Then the body benefits more from this than it does from a large amount of food. So from this statement we gather many points. The majority of illnesses are related to improper dietary habits. Specifically, taking excess food on top of food that, that is still not being properly digested. Eating in excess, more than what the body needs. Taking food that has little nutritional value. That you eat food that is not really nutritious. And that's a lot of the food that we eat today is not really uh, nutritious. And having meals that comprise of lots of complex, very different types of rich types of you know, uh, foods. So when a person makes this a habit, then obviously uh, these are the diseases of civilization, of, of towns and cities. They are complex diseases, uh, you know, which, which uh, come in a slow uh, fashion. 
And these are diseases like you know diabetes and uh, heart disease and things of that nature because of abuses uh, in the diet. So a lot of the um, illnesses arise as a result of food and drink. Now I want to give you an, an analogy, which is, I, I like this analogy because it, it, it is very, uh, it, it allows you to think carefully about how you eat and what you eat. And this analogy is basically, uh, in fact, it is true scientifically and by way of the study of the, bo the bo body's biochemistry, which is that every time you eat a meal, your body has to use some of its inherent capacities and resources to consume that food. And that contributes to your death. Right? So meaning, this is like you can't escape death. Right? Everything that you take into your body whilst it keeps you alive on the small scale of time, in the large scale of time, it pushes you further, further towards death. Right? So the analogy that I like to give, in fact, this is all to do with the enzymes in your body. Your body, when you were born, there is, and we believe this from Al-Qada Al-Qadar, that the lifespan of every individual is written. And all of his bodily resources and inherent capacities are already determined at birth. Right? So when you are born, you have, let's call this, you have a bank account. In your bank account, there are enzymes. Enzymes are really the key elements in your body. The enzymes are the ones that modulate and regulate and facilitate and speed up all of the reactions in your body. Without enzymes, there is, there is no life. Right? So your vision, every motion of the hand, the brain that's functioning, every single thing that is happening in the cell, in, individ in every individual cell, is being mediated by way of enzymes. Right? So you have, you, when you are born, you are given your bank account of enzymes. Now, as you proceed to live your life, you will have to make withdrawals from your bank account in order to make your body do what it is doing. So over a lifetime, these enzymes continue to be withdrawn. And there will come a point where because your bank account has been emptied, the basic elements, the basic functions of the body will stop and cease to function. So for example, the joints in your body will not work as they used to. Your vision will become impaired. Your hearing will become impaired. Right? Your organs will not function in the right way. So basically your body begins to whatever. Now this is because now all of this is to do with the withdrawing from your bank account, right? In order to, you know, make the body do what it's supposed to do. Now, you can withdraw carefully or make sure that you're not withdrawing anything and all of this is based upon how and what you eat and drink this is why if you look into those cultures and civilizations who are the most healthy and who live the longest you will see certain characteristics in their diets and in their diets what they do 
is that they eat certain foods which are already digested. They are pre-digested. In other words, when you consume that food, your body does not have to do anything to break it down to digest it. Meaning, your body is not having to withdraw from the bank account. Right? Rather, the food has already come pre-digested. Right? So, for example, things like uh, sour milk, laban, which is left, left to ferment and become acidic. It breaks down. The bacteria break it down. And, it, it, you know, it, it, it's basically pre-digested. You drink it. Your body has to do next to nothing. Right? Likewise, certain foods like sauerkraut, like the, the sour cabbage or the fermented uh, uh, cabbage, which you find in certain civil, you know, uh, civilization, they make it a part and parcel of their of their of their of their diet, right? Uh, the, the good bacterial lactic acid bacteria breaks down everything. It creates B vitamins and so on and so forth. Everything is already digested. So the point being, the point being here is that you that the way that you prepare foods is such that when you consume these foods, your body is doing next to nothing. This means that your enzyme bank account is always topped up because you're not making withdrawals. Right? And as you grow older and older and older, there will be enough enzymes to take care of your vision, for example, your hearing, whatever else. Now, on the other hand, if you are eating foods which are, you know, which, which you need to take maybe an overdraft or something. You know, you have to go to the, an overdraft of enzymes, like you, t you, you eat fried food. Fried food, fried food is very hard to digest. And you're going to have to make lots of withdrawals to, to you know, uh, consume, to, to digest a, a fried fish and chips, for example, or a hefty steak, for example, a huge hefty steak that, you're, that your enzymes now have to be used. So what happens is, as an emergency, your body says, you know what, I need some... Um, proteases, lipases, amylases, where can I get them from other parts of the body? So they have to be, the troops have to come from other parts of the body. And so if you make this a constant practice, what's going to happen is, basically you are consuming yourself, you are making withdrawals from your bank account, and you will die earlier, you will live for less, and your faculties will deteriorate at a quicker pace. Right? So, so, Eating in moderation. So remember, there's there's many things that we don't uh, that I don't want you to miss here. Eating in moderation has many things underneath it. When you eat in moderation, you have to be eating nutritious food. You can't just be eating non-nutritious food because your body has has needs. It needs nutrition. You eat in moderation. You eat less, right? You eat. You don't eat to the fill. This will give you a longer life. But you eat that which is nutritious. At the same time, the method you use to cook the food, that's why you will see that the civilizations and na uh, nations that have good health and live the longest, they have certain methods by which they prepare food. That food is always in the, uh, uh, at, the, at the closest stage to being natural. And the cooking methods are non-harsh and very simple and very moderate. Right? Like either they are fermented foods, either they are lightly steamed, you know, and so the food that you are eating is, is kept at the, close, the closest stage uh, uh, as it is. Unlike, for example, when you see that, you know, sometimes you have a curry and you've just cooked the kitchen, the, the chicken to death, you know, you've just kept it on the oven and just heated it and heated it and heated it and heated it and, you know, where's all the benefit gone in that? 
are like the, the spinach. You know, you make the, the, the spinach. You don't take it naturally, but you just make, like the, the Asians do, they make sag with it and they just kill all the nutrition that's in it by just keeping on the heat of, for, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours and whatever else. So the point being that how you prepare the food is also an art and a skill. It is a lost art and a lost skill. Right? How do you prepare different types of foods in the most healthy manner to, get, to gain all of the benefits out of that food? That in itself is something that you have to study and you have to look at uh, as well. So, so I mean, th- there are many more things that can be said about this and you know, we don't really have much uh, time to be honest. So we'll conclude that there. The second element then that Islam has given attention to is the issue of moderation in food and drink. And beneath this, there are so many things that a person can study and look at. So this is just a basic indication for you to pursue further. So quality of food and in a certain moderate quantity. Uh, Before I forget as well, that obviously in a modern context, we see that most foods, we are losing nutrients in the foods because of large large-scale farming methods. We see that the minerals are no longer in the soil anymore because of decades and decades and decades of you know, uh, industrial farming. So it is inevitable that a person has to take supplements in order to make up for the deficiencies in terms of nutrition. And so for that reason, um, you know, vital elements like selenium, for example, uh, uh, vitamin D, which underlie hundreds of processes in the body. These are things which a person can look at and, you know, as a means of supplementing a good nutritious diet in order to maintain a, a healthy body. So I'll mention those things towards the end, inshallah ta'ala. But just to move on uh, with this, I have plenty more. Uh, you'll have to have patience with me, inshallah, because I know we've been speaking for an hour and 20 minutes, but uh, we have five, six more things to mention, which, which all of which are important. So the second thing, or the third thing, sorry, point number three that we find in the Sharia is the recommendation of physical exercise. Physical exercise, and really th- these are simple things, but they, they are really behind the cause of disease, right? Lack of cleanliness, lack of hygiene, um, you know, you catch, you didn't wash your hand or something, and you caught an infection or something, uh, you know, improper dietary habits, you know, not having any exercise, sitting around. When, the, when these take place over years and years and years and years, disease sets in, and then you think, where did this disease come from? These might be simple things. But they are behind a lot of disease condition. So the Sharia has come with recommendation of physical activity. And this is from numerous angles. You know, uh, the Sharia has come to make the bodies strong, the intellect strong. And it wants a person's offspring, the children, to be strong as well. And for their intellects to be strong. And this occurs if you, because in fact... One of the principles that, that we see in, 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 in the studies of, of genes and environment is that everything you do affects your genes, right? So that the cell and the genes and external factors and the actions that you perform, they are constantly rewriting your genes or they are switching genes on and off, right? So whatever activities you engage in, that is having an effect on the genet- your, 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 your genes. And that will then be passed on to your children. Right? So there is an influence and an effect on 
the, 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 you know, your offspring. So therefore, if you want your children to be strong physically, in terms of health, in terms of mentally, in terms of intellect and so on and so forth, then all of these elements have to be, have to be incorporated. So exercise is something that is recommended, encouraged, because it affects a person's body, his intellect, manners, the, the soul, the spiritual elements. And in the Qur'an, Allah praises himself. We see these are, these, these are qualities Allah says in the Qur'an, that Allah is one who is strong, is powerful. And just like there are many of these uh, attributes of Allah like wisdom and mercy and ilm, and, and, and so on and so forth. And likewise, we are encouraged that these are also from the perfection of a human, that we have these attributes, that we are wise, that we are merciful, that we have ilm, that we are strong. And likewise, we see, see in the hadith of Abi Huraira, radiallahu anhu, al-mu'minu al-qawi khayrun wa ahabbu ilallah min al-mu'min al-da'if. The strong believer is more beloved, is better, is better and more beloved to Allah than the weak believer. To the end of the, of the hadith, and um, likewise we see that Anas bin Malik, um, who said that Abu Talha used to play with the Messenger of Allah وسلم, with a shield. Now they used to play and pra- practice with each other using the shield. You know the shield as a uh, you know, uh, uh, and Abu Talha used to be good as an archer, and when he used to fire the arrows through his you know through his bow the prophet وسلم, would would watch over him and see where the arrow would fall uh, as mentioned by uh, al-bukhari and so likewise aisha radiyallahu anha said sabaqtu rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam fa sabaqtuhu falamma hamaltu min al-lahmi sabaqani fa sabaqani fa qala ya aisha hadihi bitilk she said that I raced with the messenger of Allah Sallallahu and I beat him, meaning when she was younger. And then when I gained uh, some, some weight, he gave me a race and he beat me. And so then he said, this is for that one. And so here then, we see that there are you know, certain activities, I will see in the Sharia likewise, recommendation of things like swimming and archery and horse riding. And things like wrestling, for example, all of these are practical, useful types of exercise. So notice that this exercise that is being recommended is not vain exercise. It is useful, practical, beneficial exercise which, 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 which has tangible benefit. And so this is something that we should encourage, be encouraged to, and you know, uh, encourage our children, especially in this age of couch potatoes in a factory. Because the modern lifestyle is one which produces couch potatoes, meaning people just sat around all day, uh, the handheld device, or doing whatever else, just sat around, you know, lazing around, and they become couch potatoes, sitting around. And this has a, a, a negative impact upon a person's health and his offspring. Because as we said, your actions switch off genes and switch on genes, right? It's a dynamic process. And then this is, this is passed on to your children. And so therefore, you know, all of these things that we are speaking of here, physical exercise is something 
that especially these types of things which are practical and benefit, then a person should be encouraged, you should encourage their children to go outdoors, you know, to, to, to see, uh, you know, rivers, trees, animals, to walk, to hike, to, you know, all these things which are, which are beneficial, you should be encouraged uh, to, to do that on a regular basis. So that's number three. Number four is that you must give your body the right that it has upon you. You must give your body the right that it has upon you, which is rest. Rest. And in Islam, the body has emphasized, in, in, in Islam, the body has been given, uh, the, the, the right of the body has been given an emphasis. The body is an amana. You are a soul to whom a body has been entrusted. Allah puts you, you were created as a soul first, then He puts you in a body. Every person has a different type of body. That body is an amana that, that, that is upon your shoulders. Your physical body is an amana. Remember, your soul was created first. Right? And so your body is just something, your body is, is, is unique to you. Allah could have, could have given you any body. So this specific body which He gave you, which is unique to you, is an amana upon you. And you have to fulfill the obligation in the sense that you give it its, the, the, the due nutrition, sufficient nutrition, sufficient sleep, sufficient rest, sufficient clothing, which is clean, a sufficient place to live, and you know all the other things which, which, which follow on from that, such as marriage and marital relations in the halal way, and uh, you know treating it when necessary, and making beneficial use of all of the halal things which Allah has allowed, and which are customary to one's society and culture and so on and so forth, in agreement with the Shia, in agreement with the Sharia of Allah Azawajal, then all of this is something which is part and parcel of the, the right of the body. Allah Azawajal, He says in the Qur'an, وَابْتَغِ فِيمَا آتَاكَ اللَّهُ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةِ وَلَا تَنْسَ نَصِيبَكَ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا Allah Azawajal, He says, pursue from that which Allah has given you, the abode of the hereafter. So whatever means Allah has given you, of wealth and other things, use it to pursue and seek the abode of the hereafter. But then he said, وَلَا تَنْسَ نَصِيبَكَ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا But do not forget your share of the world. Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu said, regarding this ayah as mentioned by Al-Baghawi, لَا تَنْسَ صِحَّتَكْ وَقُوَّتَكْ وَثِيَابَكْ أو وَالشَّبَابَكْ I'm not sure what the... must have miswritten the, uh, the, the quote. But, but the meaning here then is, do not forget your health and your strength and your youth, if I've copied it uh, rightly. So, do not, so the point being the health, uh, here do not forget your health. From that is your health. And so, from that is the right of the uh, body. And we see this clearly indicated when the Prophet ﷺ said to Amr bin al-As, who used to engage himself in worship and fasting and, 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 and praying, he said, Sum wa afdir, wa qum wa nam. 
He said, fast and break your fast. Stand in prayer and sleep, for indeed your body has a right upon you, and your eye has a right upon you. So the body meaning, fast and then break your fast, because your body has a right. And the eye meaning, pray and then sleep at night as well, because your, eye, you know, your, your, your body has a right upon you. And likewise, uh, the messenger of Allah, he said, it is not desirable for a Muslim that he humiliate himself. لا ينبغي لمسلم أن يذل نفسه. It was said, how does a believer humiliate himself? He said, يتعرض من البلاء ما لا يطيق. Meaning that a believer puts himself in a situation that he is not really capable of 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 doing. Meaning here that do not put yourself in a situation that's going to be burdensome upon you for no reason. It's going to be burdensome upon your body. It's going to give you stress. It's going to give you grief. A believer, this is a believer, does not humiliate himself in this way by putting himself in situations that are detrimental to him. And so, likewise, the jism, the, the the body, giving the body sufficient rest, uh, you know, in terms of it is, it, it is by way of the night. There are many ayat in the Quran which establish that the night is a time of clear, of of rest and serenity and giving the body its rest by way of example. وَالَّذِي جَعَلَ لَكُمُ اللَّيْلَ لِتَسْكُنُوا فِيهِ وَالنَّهَارَ مُبْسِرًا إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَةٍ لِقَوْمِ يَسْمَعُونَ That Allah is the one who made for you the night as a place of repose. Likewise, هُوَ الَّذِي جَعَلَ لَكُمُ اللَّيْلَ لِبَاسًا وَالنَّوْمَ سُبَاتًا وَجَعَلَ النَّهَارَ نُشُورًا He's the one who made for you the night as a clothing. And the day, uh, sorry, the, the night as a clothing and, you, and sleep as a rest. And made for you the day as uh, made the day as a resurrection, meaning that you awake after sleep, and everything else we see grows in the daytime by way of you know the the air and the the, the sun, the light and whatever else. And by nighttime it it stops, right? So the day is like a type of resurrection. And there are other ayat in the Quran which are similar. The point being that nighttime is a time of rest. So your body has a right upon you that you give it that rest. Again, these are things that most people might not connect to disease, but they really do have an impact upon disease. When you make abuses in these affairs, over time they build up and they provide an environment in which disease can easily settle in. So these things are important. If you live your life according to the sunnah, this, this is the prophetic medicine. If you live your life, life like this, you will be free of disease and you will not get complex diseases. You'll get simple diseases which go away after a day or two days, which, which, which are not chronic. Right, so this is the nature of the prophetic medicine. Right, so fifth uh, element is that you protect your your house, your environment from things which cause disease, from a talawuf, things which are decay, which are putrid, which are you know uh, things like this. So we see in the legislation of Islam that the emphasis has been on the uh, you know the, the, the health of the individual and the society and likewise of the masakin of the, the the places of abode and the, the courtyards and the, the ways and the paths and everything basically to do with the environment. Abu Dhar he said and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who said عَلِيَّ أَعْمَالُ أُمَّتِي حَسَنُهَا وَسَيِّئُهَا فَوَجَدْتُ فِي مَحَاسِنِ أَعْمَالِهَا الْأَذَى يُمَاطُ عَنِ الطَّرِيقِ 
ووجدت في مساوي اعمالها النخاعه تكون في المسجد لا تدفن so basically says that the good deeds of my nation were presented to me and the evil deeds of my nation were presented to me and i found that from the good deeds of my nation was that they remove that which is harmful from the path and from the evil na- from the evil deeds uh, that which i found from to be from the evil deeds the evil deeds is uh, spitting of phlegm which is found in the masjid and which is not buried right so from this hadith we we, we see a general principle in relation to the cleanliness of the roadways and the pathways and the absence of harmful things being le- being left in you know in in the environment uh, likewise this principle is also taken from the hadith in which the messenger of allah said ghatu al ina wa awki'u as siqa fa inna fi sana laylatan yanzilu fiha waba'un la yamru bi ina'in lam yughat wa siqa he said, tighten your pots or seal your pots and tie your drinking um, water skins. For indeed in a year, there is a night when all, when the waba, meaning a disease, descends. And it does not pass by any vessel, any empty vessel or any water skin which is open except that it enters into that. Right? So again, this is an indication of like in the house when you have food and things like that, that you keep everything uh, closed. Likewise, the preservation of the air, the principle of preservation of the air, we see in the hadith that the messenger of Allah of, of, of Ibn Abbas, that the messenger of Allah he prohibited from breathing into a vessel, or blow, into, an, into a vessel and blowing onto it. Again, the principle derived from this is... You know, to, 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 it's to do with the, the, the environment and the cleanliness of the environment and basic basic hygiene. And likewise with water, we are prohibited from urinating in still water. Likewise, we are prohibited from um, relieving ourselves in the three places, which is, for example, in shade and on a path. And in the side of a uh, water, in the side of water, these are places where people tend to congregate to get shade, or they, they they travel, or they come by. And in these areas, we are prohibited from relieving ourselves. Why? Again, this is a part and parcel of the of the environment of protecting the environment. So, from all of this, we gather a general principle of ensuring that the environment is clean, that the, that in your house the environment is clean. So, uh, you know, there are many things which, co- which come under this. You keep the air clean, you use bakhur, for example, incense, for example, um, and, you know, whatever other steps that, that are related from this. It's, it's for you to basically look at the, the, the details. Um, then number six is that we see that the Sharia has prohibited certain foods and drinks which are inherently harmful. So... We see that in the Quran, Allah Azawajal, He says, وَيُحِلُّ لَهُمُ الطَّيِّبَاتِ وَيُحَرِّمُ عَلَيْهُمُ الْخَبَائِثِ That Allah Azawajal has made lawful for you the tayyibat, the wholesome, pure things. And He has prohibited for you the khabaith, the filthy, evil things. Now, there's an important point of aqeedah we can mention here which will be beneficial. 
based upon this ayah, which is that there's a subject in the issue of aqidah which is very, very important. It's called At-Tahseen wa-Taqbih. At-Tahseen wa-Taqbih. This issue is to do with the question as to can the intellect, can it know, can it determine what is good and beneficial and what is harmful? Right? Can it know what is hasan, good, and qabih, what is evil? Can the intellect do that? Or is it the case that only revelation can tell us that? Right? This is a question on top of which there are many other issues of belief which, which are connected to. For example, the issue of Al-Qada wal-Qadr and all of the debates to do with Al-Qada wal-Qadr, they are tied to this issue of At-Tahseen and At-Taqbih. Now, how is this connected to, to, to our point here? The point is here that here in, in this ayah, Allah has mentioned At-Tayyibat and Al-Khaba'if. So in the Sharia, we accept that things are inherently, that, that the concept of harm and evil, that, they, that it inherently exists in things. And the concept of wholesomeness, something being tayyib, pure, wholesome, beneficial, overwhelmingly beneficial, that, that these are inherent qualities of things. That's why there are certain things which are categorically forbidden to Muslims. Why? Because inherently there is khubth, there is evil in it, either physically or, or in terms of the consequences, right? So for example, we are prohibited from everything which intoxicates, every intoxicant. We are prohibited, like drugs, intoxications, things like that. We are prohibited from certain other things, like for example, uh, 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 you know, al-maysir, which are games of chance, um, al-ansab, those things which are sacrificed to other than Allah, al-azlam, divining through arrows, all of these are rijusun min amal shaytan that we are prohibited from all of these, they are rich, they are filthy, they are evil from the action of shaitan. We are prohibited, we are, we are, we are uh, prohibited al-khamar, ittaqul khamar, fa'innaha ummul khaba'if. Fear intoxicants, because it is the mother of all khaba'if. Khamar itself leads to many other evils. Likewise, the flesh of pig. Likewise, dead animals. Blood, consuming blood. Animals which have fangs and claws, we have prohibited from them. Animals which eat from the filthy things. Animals which, which you know eat filthy things, like the swine, for example, and other types of animals that go and eat filth. All of these, we are prohibited from consuming those things because they are they are from the khabaith. They are from the khabaith. They are inherently evil and corrupt. And so the reason why I mention this thing about At-Tahseen wa taqbih is because likewise, not only physical things in the Sharia like food and drink has been declared to be either tayyib or khabith, then likewise actions, they have the same thing as well. Actions can be hasan, they can be qabih, they can be good and wholesome, they can be vile and impure and harmful. And that's why, for example, uh, you know, we know that zina is, uh, is khubth and qabih, and we know that, for example, there are actions which are hasan, which are beneficial, right? This is the basis of morality to us. When we look at everything in Allah's creation, Allah has told us, this is khabith, 
This is tayyib. This is uh, hasan. This is qabih. Right? So human actions have consequences. That's why, for example, there are certain actions we, do, we can never accept. Right? And certain actions we consider to be halal, tayyib. Certain actions we consider to be haram and khabith. Right? Because actions have inherent... Actions have consequences as well. They have inherent properties to them. Right? Because they, they affect and influence other things. So the Sharia has come, made halal everything which is wholesome, and made haram everything which is khabith and harmful. Right? So everything that we look at in the Sharia, you know, that Allah that it allows marriage and food and drink and clothing and everything, then it is halal and tayyib. But whatever it prohibits, it is because it is khabith. It is qabih. It is harmful overwhelmingly to most of society. So therefore it has been prohibited. Right? So, so the issue with tahseen and taqbih basically comes to this. Uh, our position in between the Mu'tazila and other than them is that we believe that the intellect can know that something is khabith and hasan, is qabih and hasan, because, quali- because things have inherent qualities. And actions have an inequality. So, so, so it's possible for a human to know that which is right and wrong and harmful and beneficial. But it is only when revelation comes and affirms that, that he will then be punished or rewarded. Right? Do you understand? This, this, is, this, is, this is how we believe as Ahlul Sunnah. That yes, the intellect can work out that this is inherently wrong, like stealing is wrong. Right? Or that Charity is good. We, we can know that by intellect. And, you know, but, but when does responsibility arise? It is when the revelation has come. And so this principle really, really is a principle of belief. It relates to the disputes about this issue. I wanted to mention it here because of its importance. Anyway, the halal and the haram is based upon that which is tayyib and that which is khabith. The whole sharia is founded upon that. And... From the, and so from the issue of health is that the Sharia has prohibited that which is khabith from certain foods and drinks which are which bring about health, uh, ill health, which bring about harm to health, disease, alcohol. You know, you see it all the time in the newspapers. It is a burden on the society's economy. It is a harm to health. You know, um, and then all the other things that you see, intoxicants, drugs, certain types of meat, certain types you know, of, of, of the swine, whatever else, all of these are connected to disease. Um, so we come to um, the next issue, which is protecting oneself from disease, keeping away from what we would call today infectious disease. Infectious disease. There are certain uh, commands in the Sharia. I'll mention them very quickly. Uh, the hadith of Abu, uh, Abu Salama. Uh, from Abu Huraira who said that he heard the messenger of Allah say, let not one of you pass a sick camel by a healthy camel. And he also said in a hadith, when you hear, when you hear of a plague which is broken out in a land, do not enter it. And if it befalls when you are in the land, do not leave the land. Right? If a disease arises in the land, don't go to it. And if you are in a land where disease has broken, do not leave it. And he also said, Firra min al majzum, min al majzum, min al majzum, min al majzum, firaraka min al asad. Flee from a leper, min al majzum, 
Firaraqim in al-Asad, like he would flee from a lion. And there are many similar uh, hadith in this regard. Now, it's important that we understand this thing here about the, the, the issue of what is called infectious disease. Ibn Hajar has a book on this topic. Uh, he wrote on this topic because in Egypt, in the 8th, 9th centuries, there were a number of plagues, which, which you know, waves of plagues which came. So he wrote this book to speak about the topic of disease and plagues. And he mentions these hadith. And what he explains here, he mentions from the, the scholars and the commentators, and he says that what is really meant by these hadith, and he mentions the hadith, La Adwa, there is no such thing as an infectious disease. Wala tiyara, wala hama, wala safar, to the end. And so in, in commenting about this hadith, basically he says that the reason why a person has been prohibited from entering into a land where a disease has broken out, or from leaving a land where a disease has broken out, is not because of the issue of the disease, but because of protecting his iman, of protecting his tawheed. Why? Because if a person um, went to a land where a disease had broken out, and he caught the disease, he may have thought that the disease was infectious, and had he not come, he would have not got the disease. And vice versa, if he'd left the land where a disease had broken out. right? So the point being that the whole aim behind this prohibition is so that he does not wrongly believe in adwa. Adwa meaning that a disease is somehow infectious in its own right, and is able to infect people outside of the the qadr of Allah right? Because this was a belief that the people would have. So, 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 so the, the the wisdom, as Ibn Hajar explains by quoting from other scholars, is to preserve and protect a person's iman in that he does not start believing in uh, adwa, and that he knows that all things are by the qadr and qadr of Allah And that's why Ibn Hajar himself he mentions that where he was in Egypt, there would be a house where one person had the plague and his family would sleep next to him, attend to him, look after him, give him food, give him drink, breathe the same air as him and never get the disease. Never get the disease. How can this disease then, said, then be said to be infectious? Right? So it shows that the asbab, the ways and the means by which a person gets the disease are in the control of Allah Azza Right? And... You know, and, and that's why in, in a modern context, when they say today that a virus is passing around and this and whatever, it's not the virus which is causing the disease. It's not just the virus. There are other asbab, there are other factors. And that's why you see many people get the disease, they catch the flu, they catch the cold. Other people don't get the, the, the cold. It's got nothing to do with the virus. The virus is one small element. And there are many other factors. And Allah Azawajal, He's in control of them all. It's like you can't have a plant without the seed or the soil. You can't have the soil by itself. You can't have the seed by itself. So the virus might be a seed, but if the environment is not present in an individual, then he won't get the disease. And each person varies. right? So we do not believe in the concept of a disease being infectious in and of itself. right? Rather there are other factors which are in 
the control of Allah Azza wa Jal, and you know, um, so 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 this is how we look at the issue of of disease. But the point coming back to this issue is that take another thing that we take from these hadith is that taking precautions is something that is permissible, right? So if someone has a disease, we know that interaction is one of the means by which a disease can be transferred should Allah allow the other factors to take place as well, to be present as well, right? And so therefore to take precaution is something which is permissible in the Sharia. So therefore, if someone has a disease and you don't want to catch the disease, it's fine for you if you want to keep away, that's fine, it's permissible. But also we see there are other hadith where the Messenger he would eat with a leper. And so the scholars try to reconcile between, well, how come in the hadith he said, flee from the leper as you would flee from a lion? But on the other hand, he sat eating with a leper. And so the scholars reconcile these by saying, well, you can make tawakkal upon Allah Azawajal, because disease is in the control of Allah Azawajal. Nothing will come to you except what Allah has written to you. And so those who have strong iman and tawakkal in Allah, they can, they can do this. And if you feel that you don't want to, you want to keep away, you can do that as well. That's now taking the asbab and the ways and means. Right? So they reconcile all of these texts in this manner. So the point being that we take from this is that a person can take precaution from, you know, falling into a, a, a uh, from catching a disease. But these texts in the Sharia have something more than the obvious medicinal thing, which is that they protect a person's iman so that you don't think that if you went somewhere and you caught the disease, you start thinking if only hadn't come I would not have caught the disease because then this word of if, if, if is something that opens the door to shaitan and then it starts making you have bad thoughts, right? So this is to protect your belief. If you hadn't gone, you might have still caught the disease, right? So this is point number seven and we finish with point number eight, uh, which, was, which is that we find, which is also important is preserving and protecting the health that relates to the soul and the mind. The soul and the mind. We've spoken a lot about the body. Right? There is the heart, which is not our topic today. There is the body. Then there is the soul. And there is the mind or the intellect. All of these are connected. All of these are connected. Even, you know, we know that uh, Islamically there is a connection between the soul and the heart and the body and the intellect. When we read the the, the statements of the scholars like Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah ibn al-Qayyim, we see that they speak on the basis of, of this connection. And even in terms of the, 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 the knowledge that we have today, you know, there's a connection between the heart and you know, the, 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 the mind and, and the body and the faculty of reflection and emotions. All of these are, are basically connected. And that's why you see there are certain diseases which arise and they arise because of psychological emotional reasons. There are many ailments of the gut, for example, irritable bowel disease, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, pr problems with the gut, and they are psychological and emotional in their origins. Right? You can be treated with all the drugs and whatever else you want, but the underlying problem is actually psychological. Right? So the state of mind and things like anxiety, stress, grief and so on and so forth, they actually have an effect on your health. And so maintaining this element of having a sound, serene mind, 
uh, you know, your soul is sound, and your aql, your intellect, you know, you, you, you nurture your intellect. All of this is part and parcel of keeping the health, uh, you know, of, of, of the body uh, in good shape. Um, so, from the elements that relate to this aspect of psychological uh, health and spiritual health, we see examples or indications of this in the Sharia. By way of example, uh, the Prophet would be surprised by something which we which we refer to as at-tafa'ul. At-tafa'ul, the best way that we can really explain this is basically is to be optimistic, right? To always have a positive outlook on things, to anticipate something good, to anticipate something positive. If you if you have this attitude and you have this mentality, you will be saved from from illnesses and diseases because your mind is in such a psychological state that it always sees the, the positive and anticipates positive things. Whereas if you're always negative, right, it puts your mind or your body in, into a state, like a psychological state that makes it prone to disease. So the, the uh, an indication for, of this in the Sharia is where Qatada, he said that he heard Anas radiallahu anhu say, indeed the messenger of Allah sallam, he said, qala la adwa, وَلَا الْفَأَلْ He said there is no such thing as adwa, as the concept of an infectious disease in its own right. And nor is there any tiyara, this belief in these omens where you know, the, the birds flies over you and it goes in a direction, it means something bad is going to happen. This thing doesn't exist. It's not real, it's not true. But الْفَأَلْ is something that really surprises me. And so I said, and I said, I said, what is al-fa'l? Al-fa'l here is like a good omen. And he said, it is al-kalimatu tayyibah. Al-kalimatu tayyibah. It is a good word, a positive word. What's, what, what's, what is being referred to here is basically, it's like when you create optimism, when you create good hopes, when you use speech that basically puts good hope, good hopes in people, you say positive things to your children, right? You, you. This is what is meant by al fa'al, right? Optimism, good positive words, encouragement. So basically, you create a character, a personality that always sees things positively, always has good anticipations, always had, you know, um, you know, uh, an optimal, uh, uh, you know. Is optimistic in, in, in his or her outlook towards things, right? Not negative. This is what is actually meant here. And an example of this, an illustration of this, is the hadith in which Al Khabab bin Al Arat he complained and he said that we complained to the Messenger of Allah about you know the, the hardship that would come to us from the from the Mushrikun. And so the Messenger of Allah he told him about you know, the, 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 the people who would come before and how they would be uh, put into a pit that was dug for them and a saw, a saw would be put on their heads and they would be sawn in half and they still would not renounce their religion. And he said, indeed, you are a hasty people. So here, the, the intent here is to create like a, a positive, optimistic type of feeling in a person. Right? To make him be positive instead of negative. To be, you know, anticipate goodness and, and rather than be negative. And so this is the kind of thing that we are talking about. 
And in a way also, if we think about this, um, there's, there's, when, when, when basically when you are optimistic and happy and you think positively of things, there's something that the doctors today, they speak about called the placebo effect. They call it the placebo effect. It means that you give someone a medicine which is really just water or a sugar pill, right? And you tell them, yes, you know, this, you, you'll be fine, you'll, you'll be cured. And then they give a control, uh, another group, actual medicine. And they find that the, 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 the group which has the placebo, which wasn't given any real medicine, they actually have a positive effect as well. So how can this make sense? They, they were not given the actual uh, therapeutic uh, the, 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 the element. And so this comes down to, what, what, this is what they call the placebo effect. And really what they do is they, they use it to discount, right? This is where their uh, experiments are designed. But in reality, it is an inherent faculty in the body by which bodies are healed. Ibn Taymiyyah mentions this. In fact, Ibn Taymiyyah mentions this in the context of he was asked a question by someone who said that the doctors are telling me that only alcohol or wine or the flesh of the pig are going to cure this particular disease. And so Ibn Taymiyyah responded and he said, whoever says that any specific illness can only be cured by this specific thing, by way of habit, by way of custom, then this is an ignoramus who does not know medicine, let alone, who does not know what Allah revealed, let alone, sorry, who does not know Allah and His Messenger, let alone knowing medicine itself. And then he expands and he says, because cure is not in any one thing habitually, rather it is in many things. It can be in the Qur'an, it can be in medicinal, medicinal treatment, it can be in the inherent uh, faculties and strengths and abilities of the body itself. It can be in so many things. And so here, this, 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 the whole discussion we are having here of being optimistic and being positive and saying good words and things like that, all of, the, all of these have, do have a tangible effect on a person being cured of a disease. Right? This, and so this is connected to this issue of optimism and you know, being in a good psychological frame and a good psychological mind. And so all of this is, uh, this, all of this is part and parcel of, of basically of uh, good health, uh, you know, the mental, psychological elements of that as well. So the, these are eight. From that we can see the beauty of the Sharia of Islam and how it has come with the most complete and perfect of guidance. In fact, I don't have time to read from the statements of Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala. He says, um, his medicine of the messenger, I'll, I'll mention it briefly, uh, is not like the medicine of the physicians. For the medicine of the Prophet is certain, definitive, emanating from divine revelation, the lantern of prophethood, and perfection of reason. As for the medicine of others, most of it is conjecture, presumption, and experimentation. Then he goes on to mention many other things as well. The point being here then is health is a lifestyle choice. Right? Depending on what lifestyle you want to live will determine the types of diseases you will get. If you want to follow the medicine of the Prophet then you need to live your life in accordance with what we've seen in terms of these guidelines. 
If you live that life, if you live and you choose that lifestyle, then your diseases will be very simple, very short-lived, and they will be cured by the simplest of treatments. Because that is from the way of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So really, it's a lifestyle choice. You have to understand this point. That, you know, you might think, why are there only simple cues in the sunnah? Why don't we see all these sophisticated... And that's because the type of life you live will determine the types of diseases you get. Right? So if you want to live your life opposed to these principles, and you abuse yourself and your body in your diet and lifestyle, and you develop diabetes and cancer and you know, heart disease and so on and so forth, then you say, well, you know, how can I treat this with a prophetic medicine? Well, hang on, this is not right. Because the prophetic medicine wasn't made for people like you. It was made for people who follow the prophetic guidance all around. In fact, let me, let me, there's a beautiful, I didn't want to really miss this from Ibn al-Qayyim. Um, this is important for us to get, get this point uh, I can find where it is. Basically, the point Ibn al-Qayyim makes is that he makes an analogy between the Qur'an, that the Qur'an can only heal a certain type of heart. The heart of the believer. It is shifa for the heart of the believer. The, heart, the Qur'an will not cure the heart of a hypocrite. The heart of a munafiq cannot be cured by the Qur'an, even though the Qur'an is a shifa, it is a healing for that which is in the chests. And then he analogizes with that and says, likewise, the medicine of the Prophet will only be beneficial for certain types of bodies. Those who follow the prophetic guidance, as for the one who does not, then the medicine of the Prophet. It's not because, it's not because there's something deficient in the Qur'an, that is not healing the, the, the heart of a munafiq, it is because the heart of a munafiq is diseased. And likewise, it is not because the medicine of the Prophet is deficient, that it's not curing a certain body, it's because that body is, is, is diseased, it's not, it doesn't want to live in accordance with the prophetic medicine in general. Right? So this is something that you really have to understand. That, that if you want to follow, if you want to use the prophetic medicine like honey and hijama and all the various other things which we find mentioned in, 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 in the sunnah, uh, zamzam, dates, cow's milk, whatever else that, that I mentioned, which are specifically tied, the black seed, to, 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 to uh, curing and, and, and uh, you know, curing of disease, then you have to live the lifestyle. Right? You have to live the lifestyle. You have to abide by the things that we mentioned. And you have to study the issue of like, nutrition as well and food as well. And how in a modern environment, how can you ensure that you, are, that you are eating with quality and in quantity, right? So you have to make that choice and you have to go ahead and study how you can implement that. So with that, we, we will conclude uh, there. We've gone on for two hours and six minutes. Uh, but due to the importance of this topic, I hope that we've covered uh, enough principles and things within this lecture. Uh, which will give you a, a foundation and a guideline uh, which to take further. And let me just finish with one more thing, which again will be a benefit, because I don't want to miss anything that's, that's useful to you practically. Uh, there's a good model that you can use, in fact, of disease, 
And the best thing which I've seen and I've read in terms of a model of disease, which is very easy to remember, is the following. Imagine a period, in fact I have a, a, a drawing here somewhere if I can show it to you. Right, so here you have a pyramid. Pyramid has three levels. And at the top there is one block of labelled it number one. In the middle there are two blocks and at the bottom there are six blocks. Right, this pyramid. Right, if you look at that, if you remember that, this will be a good model. In the top, number one, which is the top level of the pyramid, this is basically the, the individual cell, the human cell. Because your body is made of trillions of cells and your health actually comes down to the health of the individual cell. It makes sense, right? So the cell, the individual cell, when it's functioning in the optimal level, you will be with good health. And so health and disease really at the micro level comes down to what's happening at the cellular level. Each and every single cell, when we isolate it, what's happening in that cell? Right? So health and disease comes down to the, to the, the individual cell. Now, what are the things can that, that, that can affect the cell and put it into a disease? Right? Now, we're not looking at any specific disease. We're looking at disease in general, meaning that every single disease will arise by one of these two methods which are in the second block. Right? And that will only be two things. It is either a nutritional deficiency, right? That there is something missing in the biochemical pathways in, your, in, in, in the processes. There's something missing. Or there's something that's not doing the job because it's deficient, it's not present, or it's not present in the right amounts, or there's a malfunction in the biochemical process, right? So that is a deficiency, right? So it's making the cell malfunction because it hasn't got the, the enzyme or the factor or the mineral or whatever else it is, or it's not able to produce an enzyme or something. There's something there that's not allowing the cell to function. So it's either a deficiency or the second one, it is a toxicity. There's something in your cell which is toxic that is blocking the biochemical pathway. So the cell cannot do what it's supposed to do, right? And so over time, a disease condition will arise. So the point being that you can think of every single disease, no matter what type it is, will always come down at the cellular level to one of these two things. Either it's a deficiency in something or there is a toxicity that's, that's causing that disease. Right, so that's the second level level now, yeah? So number one is the cell, and the two things that can go wrong with it, deficiency, toxicity. Then there are six pathways underneath. There are six different elements that can contrib contribute to that. What are they? Number one, it is nutrition. What you eat, nutrition. There could be deficiency in nutrition, right? You're lacking in vitamin D, for example. You are lacking in the mineral selenium, for example. You are lacking in, you know, omega-3 fatty acids, for example. Right? They are affecting the, the biochemistry of the body. So nutrition is a pathway by which the cell becomes deficient. Then there is toxins, toxicity. Right? So your environment, there's pollution, there's, you know, electromagnetic radiation, there's the wireless, the cell phones, whatever else is coming to you. This is affecting your cells, right? Because the cells are electric as well. There's electric uh, impulses involved as well. So it's affecting you, right? So toxicity can be chemical. It can be, um, it can be electrical. Uh, it can be, you know, in terms of waves. It can be even 
emotions, toxic emotions, envy, greed, jealousy, right? These are toxic emotions and they can affect a person's health as well, right? So second is uh, of, the, of the things at the bottom level, which are six in number, is toxicity in these different ways. Third element is the physical element of the body. We spoke about exercise, you know, that can affect the cell as well. The fourth element is the psychological element, right? The fifth element is a genetic element, genes, right? So you might have abuse in your lifestyle in terms of diet, in terms of rest, in terms of whatever else. Those switch on genes, switch off genes, right? That abuse is embedded and it gets passed on to your children. So your children have certain ailments, right? This can happen over generations. So the genetic element is there as well. And finally, the medical element, which is a lot of disease can actually be caused by wrongful medication, right? And especially in an age where drugs are pushed upon people which are of questionable, questionable, questionable benefit. And so medication, taking the wrong medication, the wrong treatment, that itself can be a cause of, of the uh, deficiency or toxicity in a cell that in turn leads to disease. So basically the best way to look at it is, think of disease as only ever being one thing. The cell is not working properly. There's only one disease. Right Now the manifestations of that disease can take many different forms. There's cancer, there's diabetes, there's, um, you know, there's heart disease, there's this, there's that, whatever. All the diseases you can ever think of, they are just different manifestations of one underlying disease, which is really the individual cell, there's something wrong with it. It's not working the right way. That will only ever be caused by one of two ways, deficiency or toxicity. Right at the biochemical level, what led to that will be one of six things: right, nutrition, toxicity, physical aspects, psychological aspects, genetic elements, or medical, you know, uh, wrong medication, or a combination of these things together. Right. So this is a model that you can use, um, which is a beneficial model that you can use just to grasp the concept of of disease, and you know how to how to put down a program. Uh, for you, for yourself, for your family, to try and put things, uh, you know, to set things right, inshallah ta'ala. So with that, we will conclude. If there are any questions and answers, uh, questions that you want on anything that might have been unclear in my uh, lesson, just for the sake of any clarifications. So if there's anything that is unclear to you or you might feel needs elaboration, then uh, we'll have a few minutes for that. Otherwise, we will close the session there because it is late. And you know we'll conclude, and I think I believe the shop will be open for the people who want to go to the to, to the shop, to the bookstore, to the health store. So, which one? Okay, the bottom, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's a question to do with uh, different views and opinions which are found amongst uh, nutritionists and even you know uh, health practitioners and even doctors, for example where you find conflicting views of conflicting views about you know, oils, for example, is this oil good or is that oil bad? Um, this, you know, this, this really comes down to, it's something that you have to research, as Ibn al-Qayyim said, there's an element of medicine where it's down to research, experimentation, and to a large degree, it's down to you making your research and looking from other people's experience and, 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 and uh, 
uh, you know, practice and experience with, with things. And that's why, as I said to you, it's important to understand that the Sharia did not come with specifics. It came with general principles. And it left people in their own cultures and civilizations to go and pursue cures, you know, based upon what they experience. So when it comes to issues like this, is olive oil good for frying or is you know, coconut oil good for this, then that's up to you to go and research and find out and learn from other people's experiences and there's enough information out there to make a reasonable choice, right? Now it's not the case that every time you're going to find the absolute truth and the specific thing, but every time you're trying to make a reasoned, adequate choice, and it might be the case that at some point you learn new information and you make that, uh, adapt, you adapt to that, and then you, so another time some other information comes to you and you adapt to that as well, this is how it is. This is how it is, right? So you pursue this and you continue this. And so there isn't any, I can't really say, you know, uh, a specific right or wrong in these issues. It's something for you to make uh, an educated, reasonable choice. And anytime some information comes to you, then you, then you change. Because these are the, the worldly affairs in which the definitives are not as clear as what we find in the religion, in the affairs of the religion. So this is open to you and it's an open open uh, uh, field. And there's discussion and things like this, criticism, these, these are open and we don't, you know, become, um, uh, how can we put it, uh, firmly entrenched and have, you know, bigotry in these kind of issues. It's open for, for discussion and research and whatever else. Now that does not mean to say that we cannot criticize things which are clearly established to be wrong or to be malpractice or to be whatever else, we can do that. Uh, but in these kind of things where, you know, it's, it's basically, it's open. Is there a hadith which says, one of the signs of the last day is the appearance of diseases which did not exist before? Um, well, the hadith which I uh, mentioned earlier, there's a hadith in which the messenger of Allah, he did mention specifically the open obscenity and lewdness when people engage in, shameful op deeds openly in, in public and they divulge them openly and spread them and do in the open then there will be diseases that will appear amongst them that never appeared in their forefathers and their ancestors right so that's the specific hadith that i know as for that with this general wording allahu a'lam i've not allahu a'lam i don't know okay inshallah we will conclude our session there for today Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in